Welcome to Sports, Clips, and Politics with your host, Ben Husson, and me, Sean Hannon. Welcome to episode 34 of Sports Clicks and Politics. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you. Uh, I don't know if you know us. I'm sorry for the inconvenience. If anyone hasn't found us yet over on YouTube, uh, our Facebook uh, status is in question. Well, my, space, <laughs> my Facebook <laughs> status is in question, and therefore uh, I am not sure when or if I will be able to use Facebook again. I feel like I was told it might be tomorrow, so we'll find out if that's going to be the case or not, but... Uh, hopefully everybody finds us over here. If not, uh, we're going to have a very uh, lonely show here. Mr. Hugh Sock, thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here as always. I know it was a tough weekend for you, but still exciting. We'll get to that in a minute here. Anything else uh, you do over the weekend? I mean, I built another barn-style door. Wow. You're like Bob Vila. Listen, and not only that, this is, how, Vila. this is how different of a human being I am than what I used to be. I literally looked at my wife and said, I'm going to run to the store to go buy the wood, and I'm going to throw together another door before the Bills game starts. Wow. I don't know who I am anymore. This is not who I used to be. Well, hopefully that'll come in handy for you in the future. I mean. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of folks want barn-style doors. Yeah. Maybe have a side business. Yeah. Ice cream and I, barn doors. And I have enough businesses. <laughs> All right. I don't think I should be starting anymore at this point. All right. So let's let's get into the uh, NFL here. Um, let's do a chronological order again and save your misery just a little bit here. Packers, Bucks, right out of the chute. Yep. Really good game. Uh, uh, you know, I, I think it was kind of what I didn't really have a strong take one way or the other. I think both these quarterbacks obviously are first battle Hall of Famers, uh, leaned Packers. But good game, uh, uh, tons of offensive weapons, two pretty good defenses, uh, kind of lived up to expectations. Um, what did you think of the first game? Um, it was a good game. It, I think it was. The, it looked like the Bucks were going to pull away, and Tom Brady threw a you know touchdown pass at the end of the half, and and then the Packers came storming back. They made it exciting. It was fun to watch. I admittedly was only half watching because I was building said door at this time, but I had the game on and I was paying attention. Um, and then it's, uh, the, the field goal is obviously the question. Everybody's, everybody's sort of wondering that. And I, I get the analytics of it all said that it gives you a little, a slightly higher chance of winning by kicking the field goal there. But every now and then, I think we got to understand the limitations of analytics. And when you have Aaron Rodgers and they have Tom Brady, maybe that skews the numbers a little bit of trust your superstar and try to not give the ball to their superstar under the circumstances. That that would have been my attitude of this is the time to go for it right now. Yeah, I, like I said, I I feel like when you're in those situations, I feel like I'd want to lean, say I'd lean go for it all the time. Um, I don't know. I feel like especially because you just get so few chances to actually get there that when you're there, you just go for the win. Um, I don't know. Like I said, I... I it's easy to say in hindsight, right, that they should have went for it and whatnot, but I think a lot of people were saying that right in the middle of the moment there too. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Like I said, the it, it was, you know, what I expected, I guess. Uh, I'm glad to see, uh, I don't know, the old man try to pull it off one more time. You think he walks off into the sunset here, Mr. Brady, with a win? Um, No. 
Uh, the, the Chiefs are so good. I, I mean, honest to God, that that team is just. I, I don't ever we'll, bet against we'll, Tom Brady. We'll get the right. We'll get to the Chiefs in a second. Sorry, but the the. I mean, listen. I, I, I'm not going to bet against Tom Brady. I'm probably not going to bet one or get one way or the other. But I don't know. You know, everybody wants to make the uh, passing of the torch comparisons and whatnot. But um, I'm amazed that Brady can still do what he's doing. I mean, he's loaded with weapons. I, you know, I, I joke and, and half joke saying should he walk out on top, but like he could come back next year and he's still just as loaded. I mean, it's oh like, yeah. I mean, they're they're set up for a couple years here. Um, he doesn't need any more money, so he can just fit into the salary cap wherever he needs right. and, and just kind of uh, you know be, be a team leader, if you will. So I think he comes back, but... I think so, too. Um, I don't think he wants to be done yet. The yeah. thing is this. I, he's 43 years old, and he's out here doing what he's doing right now, and it looks seamless. And like, you're 43 years old playing in the NFL. Everything should look like it hurts you as you are doing it. That's what it you should, should look like Ben Roethlisberger. Yes, like every <laughs> single movement is a little bit painful. Instead, it doesn't. Everything looks seamless. He looks like he's doing great and feeling good. And it's just like it doesn't make sense. I've gotten to the point now that he's no longer on the Patriots. I am half cheering for the guy because I've never seen anything like this. This is amazing. I don't even have the words to describe what I am witnessing right now with a 43-year-old man coming out and doing yeah, this and, stuff. I, and like I said, I remember Warren Moon being great in his 40s, but like he wasn't winning, right? So yeah. it's a little different. I mean, he could still throw. I mean, you know, football, there's a lot of environment changes. And, uh, you know, Warren sure. Moon was not in the position that Tom Brady was or surrounded by what Tom Brady has. But right. he is winning and performing at a super high level. So it's unbelievable. Um, and they have a great team. All yeah, the way around. Right. I mean, their oh, no. defense is legit, too. Their offense is, it speaks for itself. I mean, you have, you almost have too many weapons. Like Mike Evans, Antonio Brown. Yeah, and they didn't have Brown this week. So huh? like, I expect him next week. So, yeah. And then two tight ends that are both tight end ones. Like, yeah. a team is just, the, the weakest spot is running back, and it's not even that weak. Yeah, it's oh, pretty no. good. Yeah, no, they're, 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 they're really loaded. So let's, Let's transition to the uh, the Chiefs and Bills. Um, I'll let you take it away and uh, start it, and uh, and I'll add in where I can. What what what'd you make of the game? Ah, <laughs> uh, jeez. So my takeaway after watching that game is the Bills simply and purely got out coached. They the Chiefs just had a better plan going in than the Bills did. Uh, Steve Spagnuolo just knew what Brian Dabble was going to do at every turn and how to take it away. And I thought the same thing as far as um, the enemy taking over Leslie Frazier, like knowing everything that was coming and basically toying with him. I, I mean, listen, the game ended up being not necessarily close, but even in the first half, it was close. If it wasn't for the muffed punt on the three-yard line, that game was a blowout. Yeah, I was going to say the Bills kind of, you know, the Chiefs are, are the best team in the league. Sure. So when, when when if they're going to lose, they have to not play well, and usually you need to catch some breaks. So I thought, you know, right out of the shoot, hey, this is the kind of the thing that the Bills are going to need to kind of compete in this game. You're going to need one of these short field turnovers or a defensive touchdown or a special teams touchdown or something. And they got it right out of the shoot. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if the uh, the doink of the extra point there was kind of like the beginning of the end, um, <laughs> but but the uh, it it. it it, it you know it, at that point you were like okay well you know they're going to get to halftime and still be in the game but even at that point it was like twenty one to nine at halftime I think and you felt like the game was kind of slipping away even though it it shouldn't have like they, they didn't seem like they could stop I, I mean the Chiefs have un 
unbelievable weapons, right? I mean, yeah. Hill and, and Kelsey are, and that's, they have all these extra pieces that are just, you know, lightning. Um, but they're, they have weapons everywhere and, you know, they have a quarterback who can get the ball to them in any spot. It's, they're, they're unbelievably hard to beat, unbelievably hard to stop on offense. So I don't know. I mean, the Bills didn't play their best game by any means. Well, there's um, nobody chipping at the line. Like, the, you got Travis Kelsey, you've got uh, Ty, Tyreek Hill, you've got these guys that you know what they are, and you're giving them four yards before anybody's even making contact with them. Like, that just doesn't make sense to yeah, me. Yeah, to me, I mean, there's probably not a guy in the league who can cover hills, so, like, almost every DB is giving him some yards because he can just go by you in a second. I mean, I get what you're saying. I just don't know how you stop it, right? I mean, if, if you get up on that dude, he, he's, change go- it up. he's going to run by you. I, I, the problem I, is a, I think it became predictable. They knew what was happening. I think, and that's where I was going to go, is I think some of the the the, the Venn diagram of the uh, the coaching trees that were there kind of played into the uh, the more experienced crew of the Chiefs versus the up-and-coming crew of the Bills. Um, again, that you pointed out, they, they're kind of a lot of the same – um, philosophies, and so if you kind of know what the other team's going to do, you might be able to uh, prepare better to stop it. So, give the edge to the experience and the coaching there. Sure. But like, it, the the Bills are still, you know, I mean, they're not they're a super young team, and yep. and and like, I expect them and the Chiefs to, you know, I don't expect Allen and Mahomes just to be their first and only matchup. So, um, also, I got to point this out as far as the coaching goes. You, you're not going to beat the Chiefs with field goals. I, to have fourth and less than three yards with Josh Allen as your quarterback in the other team's 20-yard line or even within the 30-yard line, you cannot settle for field goals if you're going to beat that team. Like That was when you're playing that cautiously of at some point you got to knock out the champ. You, I feel like that's what I, on the technicality. Right. I feel like that's where I was kind of going. Like at halftime, it, like I felt like it was getting away at 21 and nine. And then they had that chance to kind of really make it close at the end. And they ended up kicking the field goal, right? That's right. how it went down. So it just seemed very anticlimactic. Um, yeah. It kept you in the, the, the game, I guess. Um, but to your point, the chiefs, you know, they just have touchdown makers on their team. And if you're not going to keep up with them, you're not gonna. You're not gonna be able to do it by I'll, I'll kicking more field goals. So no, and I think you got to be able to change up your defensive looks. You can't stay ten yards off these guys every. And Tyreek Hill, I'll give you. There's no reason that you're not chipping Travis Kelsey at least knocking him off routes. I mean, the only time the Chiefs I think punted was when they dropped passes. Like the Bills did nothing to stop this team whatsoever. I don't care how good your offense is. If you're a professional defense, you should be able to at least slow them down on occasion. I mean, they, they led the league in points, right? So, I mean, nobody really slowed them down. But, I, I mean, I get what your point. I mean, you got you got to make some stops if you're right. going to win that kind of game. Or you're just so. going to accept that they're going to beat you. If you're right. going to try to win, the, you've got to try some other stuff. Yeah. And it was so, an underwhelming performance all the way around. All right. So, what do you think about the Super Bowl in general? I mean, real quickly here, I don't want to get too deep into it. It's two weeks away here. we still got to discuss and break down the Pro Bowl. So, you're the worst. Oh. <laughs> Um, so two weeks, I think it's February 7th, right? February 7th. We get, a, we get the first time in NFL history, the, uh, home team is actually, yep. gets to kind of host the Super Bowl, right? So the and Tampa of Bay, course it happens to Tom Brady. Of course it does. Obviously. <laughs> Do you think, you don't think he picked Tampa Bay when he signed with the, he's like, oh, where's the Super Bowl going to be here? If it was in San Diego, he'd have went to play the San Diego. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. So. What's your uh, quick initial take off the uh, passing of the torch, uh, Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady, all this, uh, you know, what's your initial thoughts of the game? I think for the NFL, you couldn't have asked for a better matchup than this. This is absolutely what I would consider to be the best two teams in the NFL, the best from the AFC and the best from the NFC. You were on the Bucs early in the year. I I fit. 
listen, I, I thought they were going to work it out because they Bruce did. Arians is a great coach. His system is a little complex and probably more so than it needs to be, but it's just too many weapons and too much firepower to, to stay down for long. Like, they're going to work the kinks out, and it's still Tom Brady, Mike Evans, et cetera. Like, let's not get carried away by a few early losses. They, they were going to get it worked out. And, and Tom Brady, for all of his physical limitations, when that man is in the playoffs, he is at another level of competitive than most people ever hit. He just is at – it's actually kind of inspiring to watch. I, I Like, I hate the guy in so many – I hate's a strong word, but – I, this guy like destroyed my team for twenty straight years. Like couldn't we couldn't beat him. But in twenty one seasons in the NFL, this man has played in his, now his tenth Super Bowl. That's ridiculous. That number's insane. Yeah. Like LeBron James has played in nine out of se- nine uh, NBA championships out of seventeen seasons. But LeBron James is one man out of five that's on the on the floor and playing. So it's it it kind of expect that. All right, you're like the best player in existence. So yeah, that, that makes sense. You're 20% of your team automatically. You're talking about one of 33 starters between offense, defense, and special teams. And this guy, no matter what it is, 10 seasons. I mean, he's no Robert Ori, but I mean, yeah, <laughs> I get what you're saying. <laughs> I get what you're saying too. Robert Ori was the man. How many uh, rings did know, he end I, up with? It, I, I think you're right. The NFL could not have asked for a better matchup. Um, you know, all the people who hate Brady are going to watch. All the people who love Brady are going to watch. Um, you know, you got the defending Super Bowl champions. You got this, you know, juggernaut that everybody is expecting, this this new quarterback who is just a kind of like a in a league by his own. Um, you know, and everybody's billing it as the passing of the torch, right, from, from you know, the, the goat to the to the next goat, I guess. Yeah. Um, I hope it lives up to that. I mean, obviously, everybody always wants a good game. Um We'll see how the uh, health of each one of these teams impacts. Like, I'm not fully up to, to speed on kind of uh, nuanced uh, health issues that might play a role in the next two weeks of people getting better and healthy and uh, being able to play in the Super Bowl. But I don't know. It'll be fun, uh, and I'm looking forward to it. Me too. It's a I Super mean, Bowl. It's a Super Bowl, yeah. To. I wish the Bills were in it. It was a great season. It was a lot of fun. Uh, I don't get as upset as I used to about the Bills losing. I, I have a lot of practice at it. Um but it, it, listen, it was so much fun to watch them, and I was, and I, I wanted it for them. I wanted it for the city of Buffalo. Obviously, I wanted it for myself and my family too. We would have loved it. But I, I mean, if you told me at the beginning of the season, hey, this team's probably going to make the AFC Championship game, I would have laughed at you. But yeah, calm down. I get Josh Allen's good, but he's still like a fifty-four percent completion percentage. They're not going to the AFC. They might win a playoff game, but I, I never expected to see Josh Allen turn into what he's turned into. Yeah, and like I said, only you know he's still what is only his. That was third his year? third year. So, I mean, you got, I mean, I don't know when, I think you got two more years left on this contract. Yeah, so they'll pay that, him early, though, to avoid got, getting crushed. So this is kind of this weird nuance in the NFL. I, um, the Steelers did it. The Seahawks did it with Russell Wilson. The Rams did it with Goff. Like, these these teams that get to the Super Bowl with these rookie or quarterbacks under their rookie contract have such an advantage because they can pay all the ancillary pieces, all the supporting pieces, extra money without having to, invest in the quarterback but you can see excuse me once you flip that switch and you see what happened with the Steelers and the, and the Seahawks too you start paying those quarterbacks you start not paying all the ancillary pieces and things start to break down so we'll yeah. see how long the Bills can kind of hold on same thing with the Chiefs right so um, um, they both have these quarterbacks who are 
going to get paid for sure. So I think Mahomes just got paid. Yeah, you're right. I think yeah, he did. Mahomes got paid, and I think the Bills will do the same thing with Allen. Of if, because the reality is, every year you wait, the price tag goes up. Oh yeah, for sure. So well, if you, you got to pay him too. You cannot win without a quarterback, and if right. you have one of the what seemingly you know he seems to be. Easily, maybe one of the top ten quarterbacks, and maybe he's even you know in the top five. Yeah, but he's probably so, cracking the top five. So you're you're going to try to do everything you can to hold on to that guy. So sure. um, I don't know. I think the future looks bright for the uh, Bills as long as you know health and uh, you know whatever kind of stays in line. So um, NFL season was a good season. Uh, you know, I I expect uh, a excellent Pro Bowl and uh, backup. Let's with the Super Bowl. Yeah, the Pro Bowl that's not happening. It's virtual. And the Super Bowl, play that Tecmo is, Bowl, the teams aren't showing up until Are they two play days Tecmo before. Pro Bowl. That'd be great. They should. They should play like online Madden <laughs> against each other. All right. So, um, not much else left in sports. Um, I I know there was a golf tournament this weekend. I think actually, no, I'm not even sure there was one. Um, NBA still kind of crazy with the uh, cancellations. A couple more cancellations. I assume they get through this now that the election's over. They should be able to change their testing protocols and be able to have less positives. I think that's going to happen. Ben, have you have you paid attention? How's your Ethereum? It's great, and I still don't know why. <laughs> We've had I don't know uh, Ethereum all all time highs. I think it was, it was. at fourteen forty. I think I saw at one point. So um, congratulations on that. Yeah, Bitcoin kind of went through a roller coaster there. Yeah, dumped dumped down. I can. I think we got down to like 28,000, maybe even a little bit below there, but definitely below 30. Uh, it is now bounced back up, as you can see over my head, to 34,000. Not you, Ben. I did look above your head. I know. I, I saw am you. an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> um, on the video above my head, you can see the Bitcoin price. That's my bad. <laughs> and uh, it's 34,000. So it bounced off that 28,000, um, you know, recouped most of the uh, losses. Uh, I think it kind of tumbled from about 38,000 to down to that 28,000. So all a lot of the cryptos up, um, all these alternate, alternate all coins are up, uh, kind of riding with this uh, Bitcoin plateaued a little bit here. Um, you know, people keep feeling like the, the death is near of Bitcoin, but it just keeps chugging along and keeps doing its thing. As Your long boy as all these Peter other Schiff's crypt- calling for the uh, death spiral any day now. He's been calling for that for like 10 years. One day he'll be right. He's he's been right about some things. He has been. Um, I got to get my money out. He's got some gold money thing. I got to get my money out of. Why out of? Well, that's not true. Maybe I should just look at it. Let's go buy some gold bars. <laughs> well, this is a kind of a weird concept where you could um, buy gold and then have it like be like served as collateral for like a credit card. So like you could have the gold as the account balance. Sure. And you could use it and pay, and they would deduct it from your code, code balance. I haven't looked at it in literally years, but um, I, I didn't look at my GameStop stop until this morning either. And all of a sudden, what the hell? It's up 2,800%. It's a good day, you know, <laughs> as, as investments go. My one free share stock from Robinhood. I bet you wish you bought 10 shares now. I wish. It was 371 when they gave it to me for free. Now it's freaking $150. Actually, they, they froze trading today at $132. Craziness. That's a totally different story, but... Um, it's fantastic. Let's talk about a little bit of uh, New York news since we're, you know, nobody wants to make a big deal about how poorly the Board of Elections is in New York. I'm not even sure it's necessarily the Board of Elections, but we have the, uh, I don't know if it's fortune or unfortunate, whatever, to have the last remaining undecided congressional race here in New York. Uh, incumbent Anthony Brindisi versus the uh, former uh, congressman, Claudia Tenney. Right now, Tenney has a lead of 29 votes. There's something like 1,200 outstanding ballots still waiting to be uh, 
uh, confirmed. Uh, I think they're going to try to canvas all 1,200 of these uh, voters and make sure that they're legit or not legit. There's going to be litigation this week from multiple courts. Um, the Berdizi camp appealed to some upper court from the one that Del Connie's in right now. So um, I expect that to even go to the state Supreme Court after that. So I don't think this is going to end this week. I do think we we'll might get some at least clarity on the path forward that we're going to see to get a victor. But it's crazy that it's January. We're talking about the Super Bowl, and we still don't have a winner in this congressional race. It's pretty outstanding. Democracy in action, folks. It Democracy is crazy. Democracy in action. We and like you said, it's story. it's there's so many different. I mean, obviously, it's 29 votes out of you know something like 300,000. So it's the 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 difference is minuscule. So I can see why people are discussing two votes in this county, one vote over here in this county, and one vote over here in this county. I get it, but it, it's. It seems like this should have there should have been things in place to avoid us waiting to the Super Bowl to have our congressional representation uh, uh, selected here. Nah. By the way, just as a point of accuracy, in New York State, the highest court is actually the New York State Court of Appeals, and our regular courts are called Supreme Court because New York State makes sense at everything. You're right, and that's what they that's where this reporter basically said. He's like, they'll have to. It's like if this doesn't happen at the uh, Supreme Court, then they'll go to the appeals court. Right. Just so. about every other state, it works as you have like your jurisdiction, your your regular court, then your appellate level, then your Supreme Court. But New York State, because everything that we do makes so much sense, is like, nope, that first layer, the bottom one, Supreme Court then appellate, and then the Court of Appeals. Well, thanks for that history lesson. You're welcome. Uh, but God it matters, I like I said, I, don't, yeah, I, don't, I still don't understand, you know, why this is taking so long, but here we are, and it's Just send the people out crazy. to knock on the doors for the 1,200. All right, you'll get 800 of them right away. You'll find out if they're real or not real. Hey, did you mean to vote for this person? Is that what you Well, did? like I said, that's, right. I, I think I told you before the show, like, both camps, both campaigns are actually suing or litigating to make sure that 1,068 ballots aren't even counted. They're like, neither one of us want to have to deal with that 1,000 ballots. We're just going to move past those. Like, those people, they, they, they we're, we're dismissing those people somehow. So, um, craziness that that is actually still happening in New York. Um, I know we talked about some election stuff over the few months, but this seems to be some of the craziest ones that we got going here. So, can't even figure out who to, to get a win. So, Mr. Hughesong, I would like to talk about uh, something that we've been talking about here for months. Um, something that we had an interview, uh, I believe in September, uh, with a scientist and I'm referencing, uh, PCR. Um, yep. this is a test that is, or a method of testing that is used on COVID samples to determine, uh, whether or not you are a case or not. Uh, we've talked about cycle thresholds on this program a couple times. Uh, when we interviewed Mr. McKernan, he went through what a cycle threshold was, why it mattered, and how why we were doing it wrong. So months later, we start to get new guidance from the World Health Organization. So uh, let's pause. Let's just a recap because yeah. I know not everybody remembers this, and this is fairly technical. Um, overly simplified explanation for what we're about to dive into. Uh, the PCR test is the primary way that we test for COVID-19. When you go get a COVID test and they send it away to a lab, you probably got a PCR test. That's the name of the testing structure. What that does is basically it zooms in on trying to find these very, very tiny RNA samples of whatever they swabbed out of you. So they're looking for the RNA of 
COVID, of SARS COVID 2. And they they can identify that, and it's it's very accurate. Now, every time they zoom in, it's an extra cycle. So one cycle is like a 10 time zoom, and then another 10 time zoom, and you keep cycling up. So the more cycles you have, the smaller the amount of viruses. So if you only have to zoom 22 cycles, then you have kind of a lot of the virus. You have what they would call a high viral load. There's a lot of it in there, and you should be very careful. If they look at 30 cycles, and they don't pick it up until 30 cycles, then it's not quite as big, and it's it, you probably have a smaller load. You're, you likely are not contagious. You're probably not going to spread it. You could, but it's it's pretty unlikely. And then anything above 35 cycles you have about a 3% actual, I'm sorry, I said that wrong. You have a 97% false positive rate, meaning if, if you didn't find it until after the 35th cycle or the 35th series of zooming in, 97% of those positives would be false positives. You have no virus. What it does, it, it picks up remnants of either you had the virus in the past and didn't know it, or you had a different combination of coronaviruses over the years that led to you having some of this similar or very, very similar mRNA in your sample. So it's false positives. You, you aren't sick. You're never going to get symptoms. You can't spread it. It's not the same as pre-symptomatic or asymptomatic spread. It's You don't have the virus. You, you have none of it. It's just remnants that are in there. So the higher the cycle threshold, anything above 35, they know is almost certainly a false positive. The other distinction of if you go get like a flu test, if I walked into the doctor and said, hey, I'd like a flu test, and they said, well, what are your symptoms? And I said, I don't have any. They wouldn't let me get a flu test because that's not how these tests are supposed to work. They're not meant to be blanket yes, no. It's meant to be used in conjunction with a clinical diagnosis, meaning a doctor, a nurse, a nurse practitioner, some healthcare professional looks at you and says, what are your symptoms? You have this, 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 this. Okay, I think you might have the flu that would line up. Let's run a test and confirm. Okay, you've got it. Now it's confirmed. We've never tested asymptomatic people for any virus before because for the exact reason of we can pick up old virus or dead virus. And the other part about the final part on the, some of the limitations of the PCR tests is only taking one PCR test at any given moment is idiotic. Because if you get it and it comes back positive, you should take another one a day or two later and find out if you have more or less, because that will let you know wh what stage you are at in getting this. So if you got it, uh, if it seems to be subsiding, then you shouldn't have to quarantine as long. If, on the other hand, you go on Monday, get a positive test, go back Wednesday, and it's an even stronger test, you know you're early on and you should quarantine the full 8 to 10 days. So it's not that the PCR tests are bad. It's that we are misusing them. We are using them to be something they were never, ever, ever designed to be. It's like giving every single person a flu vaccine and, or a flu shot, a flu test, and then going, geez, a lot of people got the flu. It doesn't yeah. make sense. Yeah, and, I, and if you remember when we asked Mr. Kernan that same thing, if we tested for the flu like we tested for this, he basically said we'd all be in bunkers. So, right. Um, because this is insanity. So finally, the WHO came out in December. You can pick yeah, it up from and there. so... December, they kind of started identifying that there may be a problem with the PCR tests and their sensitivity to false positives. And they uh, recommended that you disclose the cycle threshold, the right. number of cycles, whether it's 30, 35, 23, whatever it is, give that to the person being right. tested. And this was this back in December. And then so since then, on January 13th and January 20th, they've updated their guidance again to basically fall in line of what we've been saying and what how Ben just laid out is that the cycle threshold has been set too high and they recommended lowering the cycle threshold. 
Um, among other, there's there's a kind of a, a several uh, guidance they suggested to be take. I mean, some of them were simple as read the instructions on the test. So, because um, a lot of this stuff is laid out on the on the instructions of that test as well. So the provider who's giving that test maybe not following instructions. Uh, but the the main part of this was been that they've now identified the fact that there may be a problem with these false positives and they're starting to uh, suggest that the cycle threshold be, you know, altered to kind of accommodate that. This reminds me again of the H1N1, I think 2009 it was, where they basically had the same problem, where they had uh, a pandemic, if you will, and they stopped testing. And that was the end of the pandemic was because they were having the same, the same uh, occurrence where, they were getting a bunch of false positives for people who weren't actually sick or sick anymore, at least. Um, so I find it somewhat curious that they announced this on basically an hour after uh, President Biden was inaugurated. Um, not Listen, it's not just that they came out right after President Biden was inaugurated. Uh, it, listen, Newsom saying we're going to loosen up the restrictions. Cuomo saying that we can't keep the economy shut down until the vaccine's at full capacity. Like, all of this stuff was a complete 180 from their previous positions, all within about five days of President Biden taking over. If you're not a little bit suspicious by that, it's because you don't want to be. Like, any reasonable person's going to look at that and go, well, our case numbers aren't down, our hospitalization utilization is not down, the deaths aren't down what changed yeah the date right that's it nothing changed and so my issue with the with the covid thing or the testing on, on these pcr tests is not only this now they went from hey disclose the cycle threshold and you know get a clinical diagnosis too. make sure you're doing your clinical diagnosis now the world health organization actually updated its guidance to say all right Give the test. If you don't see symptoms and you get a positive test, you should retest. Don't count it. Just retest to see, especially if it's at a high cycle threshold. Like, I, I'm sorry. What? So now all of a sudden, as of January 20th, we're not going to count these high cycle threshold tests anymore. We're going to have them retested, which, listen, don't get me wrong. It's what we should have been doing all along. Or we should have just not. If you're not symptomatic, don't get a test. That's what we should have been doing all along. Um, and, and before anybody like jumps down my throat, asymptomatic spread is has not yet been established that it even happens. And even Dr. Fauci acknowledged this months ago and said asymptomatic spread has never been the primary driver of a virus contagion. Never, never, ever, ever in the history of our world. Now, pre-symptomatic spread can happen. And I know it's a very small distinction, but bear with me. Pre-symptomatic spread is even exceedingly rare. We are playing for the 1% exception instead of the 99% rule, and it's just idiotic. It makes no sense what we're doing. So now what's going to happen moving forward is we're going to have Biden come in and say mask mandate for 100 days, and we're going to ban travel from these countries, and we're going to do this. And quietly, states are already updating the way that they are up running these tests. Uh, I think it was Kansas or Kentucky. I'll look it up in a minute. Um, had been running all theirs to 42 cycles. Kansas. Kansas. To 42 cycles. Just to be clear, like, I'm pretty sure my water would come back positive for COVID at 42 cycles. Like, it, everybody has some of this stuff in you. The question is how much. So, at 42 cycles, that's insane. And then they just came out and said, well, 35. Now we're going to go to 35, which is a reasonable limit. It's still anything above that is crazy. Uh, so, more states are going to start doing this. You're not going to hear about it. So, now we're going to get to watch... 
Joe Biden on his victory lap because he's going to do the exact same things we have been doing for the last year. But now this time, it's going to work. And the reality is it's going to work because they're going to change the way they count this stuff. And that's to me, is wrong. Of This is ridiculous. And the fact that people will so willingly buy into this is the saddest indictment of our, of our population that I can think of and how little coverage this will get by our legacy media and everything else. They won't talk about it. They won't cover it. They're not going to let anybody know that this is what's happening. And that is so disappointing because there is no legitimate news reason for not talking about this. None. We know so Listen, I, I've been called an armchair epidemiologist. Cool. I will put my record on COVID in the stances that I have taken up against anybody. Have I been right 100% of the time? Nope. But most of what we've been saying for months by reading the available data and interviewing the scientists and the doctors has kind of held up of this was always indicated the entire time. And now we're getting into this this area of of changing up the way we're counting. And listen, even if you want to talk about death count, I don't know how many, but obviously we don't think somebody who got a positive COVID test and then died in a motorcycle accident three weeks later actually died of COVID. But that's happening right now. And again, it's okay if we always do it that way, but everything is a comparison to this is the worst thing ever, but that's never how we've done this before. It just doesn't make sense. If you want to have an objective analysis, then let's do it. I, I just don't grasp how we are so willfully turning a blind eye to what we know is bad data. We have bad information all around us, and then we're running around and turning to it as if it's gospel truth. And I keep going back to this of all these politicians, Dr. Burks on the council, everybody else, getting caught, having these gatherings and everything else. If these narcissists thought there was any chance that this would actually kill them, they would not do any of it. There is 0% chance they would actually put their own lives at risk, traveling, visiting with people, eating at the French Laundry Restaurant in San Francisco, going to visit family, trying to have your 89-year-old mother over to Thanksgiving, Governor Cuomo. If they believed any of this was actually dangerous, they wouldn't do any of it. They know that the threat is minimal, but they know that if they scare you, they're narcissists. They are the answer to your problem. They are the savior that will protect you. But somehow, it's okay for them. Yeah, if you have this feeling that, you know, we, we keep getting the, I don't know if the, the goalpost shifting is the actual right analogy, but we keep using different terminology as the uh, du jour to scare the folks. I'm thinking we're going to go back to cases here soon, only because I think they're just going to start reducing tests. So the positivity rate's probably, <clears throat> excuse me, not going to go down. Just the total cases are going to go down because they're going to stop testing as much people. So I expect another shifting of the terminology to kind of go towards cases, which is something they can control by just doing less tests. We'll see if I'm right here in a week or so. Um, um, but I back up everything you just said here. I think it's disgusting that basically this has turned out to that the timing of it cannot be dismissed as anything other than political. And it's, you know, the, the damage that has been done Mm-hmm. By these elect, by these elected officials, uh, specifically these governors, um, it, it can never be undone, no. and we'll be dealing with this for decades. Decades, right? That's what nobody wants to acknowledge. Is that this? If you look at the the biggest increase in deaths per population group, if I'm not mistaken, over the last few months, has actually been in the 18 to 44 year old 
that that's not COVID deaths. No. Like, I'm not saying there's more of them that died. I'm saying more than what you would expect from yeah, that population almost, has died. Almost a million more have died at home in that age bracket right. that you're talking about. So, I think it was 900 and something oh, thousand God, people have so died. Sad. That is more than twice the number of... Normal. You know, of, of, well, I would say more than twice the number of uh, reported COVID deaths, right? We have 400,000 or something. Yeah. Well, there's almost a million deaths on the books between the age group of 18 and 44 that were in home. These are not COVID deaths. These are people, these are excess deaths. And these are primarily deaths of despair, right? Overdoses, um, suicides. Uh, suicides. Uh, I'm sure there's increased domestic violence, uh, child abuse. All these things are happening because people are in a situation that they've never been in for and they've been locked up for a year. All for something that, again, primarily you know, is catastrophic for people over the age of 75. But other than that, most of these other people can kind of get on with their lives and, and, and function just normally. And it's not that there's no risk to anybody else. I'm not saying that, but there's risk in everything. All right. Like that's what we fail to acknowledge. And like 4,000 people die a day. Like, okay. But normally in America on average, about 8,000 people die every day. That's what happens when you have a population of 333 million people is people do die. I, I, I don't, I'm sorry, but that's the numbers is 8,000 a day. And it's actually normally much higher in the winter and lower in the spring and summer. That's the, we've known this forever because these viruses do tend to go after the older population more. This isn't new. Even the stuff for the, like children getting affected by like the, the COVID symptoms, they get COVID and then they get some type of uh, the Kawasaki syndrome afterwards. This happens with the flu too. This is not new to COVID. The fact that you didn't know about it prior to this, that we didn't know about it prior to this, doesn't change that fact. It is a risk. It's a relatively low risk compared to what else is out there. But the fact that it's there doesn't mean that we shut everything else down. You can't because everything is a cost-benefit analysis. I've said this this number on the show before. For every 1% increase in unemployment in the U.S., we can expect 37,000 additional people to die. Like that is what we know from heart attack, from stress, from uh, from stroke, from suicide, from drugs, whatever it is. We know every time looking back in hindsight, unemployment ticks up one percent, roughly thirty seven thousand people increase in deaths like all of this stuff is interrelated. We talk about economics like it's just money and rich people talking about business. It's not. It's your life. Like, this is what we have to discuss and talk about, and this is what we have politicians who are supposed to know this for. Instead, all they want to do is scare the crap out of all of us so that we will give them more power, see Andrew Cuomo, and that they can be the savior of all of this and be seen as the ones solving the problem. I don't think it's because they're evil, not most of them. I think it's because they're narcissists, because I think for the most part, if you want to be a politician, you have to have a certain level of narcissism in you just to get into that field. And no disrespect to the politicians. I know some of you are really good people, but be honest with yourself. You're a little narcissistic, too. More often than not. Uh, more often than not is, is a fair assessment. Um, and, you know, some of that kind of what we were talking about where we want to go next was the vaccines. I feel like Cuomo is, you know, trying to be the hero here. Right. So God. he. We have this pre-existing, uh, uh, you know, setup where the counties can distribute vaccines. They've been doing it for years, but for this one, you know, the governor's got to take credit and get credit or whatever, or, or perceive to get credit, and he needs to do it his way. So he doesn't lean on the counties. He doesn't lean on the people who have been doing it. He basically creates this whole new testing regime from thin air, 
to make himself look good. And obviously it rolls out and does not look good. So, it's amazing. um, you know, <laughs> we keep hearing stuff about the vaccine uh, running out, not running out. I've seen where, you know, Cuomo says we're down to whatever 3%. And then the CDC comes out and says they still have 49% left. I don't know what they're talking about. So I'm not really sure how to measure what's going on in New York. It seems to your point that Cuomo is much rather scare everybody and then save everybody with his testing regime that's coming. Um, testing, tracing, and making whatever, sure they yeah. can hack your phone to follow your every movement. Yeah, so this... That'll be fun. The, the vaccine rollout has been less than stellar. Um, it's been a travesty. It's been a dumpster fire is what it's been. I, listen, I it, it hasn't been that bad. It's like middle of the road, but it's his, it's not funny. It's not. It, it seems the... the I, I said it somewhat half-heartingly, but really not. Like, they should have just went by age. I don't understand why there was even a discussion about this. It's clearly affecting old people far more than anybody else like right. start there and then go back it's like a i don't understand of triage of if you have a limited supply which you do because it's a brand new vaccine then you you triage so uh, this is what we we're going to talk about with uh, i think there is a ton ton of misinformation and lack of understanding about what these vaccines actually are and will protect you from what the benefits are what the risks are and some of the limitations now first off 95 percent effective Please understand what 95% effective, the way that they actually measured the effectiveness was symptomatic cases. Because to count as COVID in these vaccine tests, you couldn't have just a positive PCR test. You had to have a positive PCR test plus symptoms. A positive PCR test in and of itself was insufficient to count as a COVID case for the purposes of the vaccine testing. Weird, right? Really weird. Seems so thorough. Yeah, who knew? So, the 95% means you have a 95% lower chance of having a symptomatic case of COVID-19. That's what it actually means. I, there's some more gray area to it, but let me speak overly simplistically for just a minute. You know what it didn't measure? Can you pass it to somebody else? Hmm. We have no idea. We have no the, the idea that a 35-year-old is going out and getting this vaccine and saying, like, I'm doing this for you. No, you're not. You're doing this to settle your own narcissism or your own insecurity because you don't understand what you actually just did. And the fact that you took this vaccine before a 78-year-old is the definition of insanity because we have no idea if you can still spread this disease or not. You might still be able to get it, not have symptoms, and spread it. I'm just kidding. That probably didn't happen. But you can still, the same with the flu vaccine. You can still get the flu, even with the vaccine, and you can definitely still spread the flu. And I know COVID is not the flu. You know what it does qualify, though, as? A flu-like syndrome. So, a flu-like illness, excuse me. So, this is what the vaccine actually did measure. Now, here's the limitation even to that. We now know, based on all of this available data for over the past year, COVID strikes older people harder. The people most susceptible to actually dying from or with COVID-19 are the people over the age of 75. It's really that cut and dry, but if you want to get more nuanced, okay, over 70 compared to under 50 is an infinitely greater risk of dying. So naturally, if you're testing the efficacy of a vaccine to prevent symptomatic cases and you really wanted to know who it worked, whether or not it worked, 
who would you test it on? Sean? Uh, old people? I would. I, that's what I would do, too. Guess what they didn't do? Do you think that had anything to do with I don't know if you saw the uh, kind of the reports coming out. I think it's Norway who basically had uh, some kind of like, I want to call it an outbreak, but they had like something like 30 people, old people who died from reactions shortly after getting the vaccine, um, which brings up your concern that they didn't test it on the old people. And now those are the people who need it. And we're going to give it to them without really knowing what the, <laughs> what the reactions are going to be. So I feel like we're running basically human trials here um, in real time, and I hope it all works out for you guys. Me too. Listen, if I was over 70, I would think about getting the vaccine. Being under 70, being under 40, there's no shot I would even consider it. Yeah. And it's the same thing like, look, oh, well, our healthcare workers need to be first. No, they don't. Because again, if you're under 50 and a healthcare worker, this is not going to stop you from even spreading it. And you, the odds of you getting this symptomatic case of COVID-19 when you're under the age of 40 is less than 1%. Less than one. Like you, the odds are very strong. You're not going to come down with any symptoms in any case, even if you got it. And if you were going to, if you've been working in a hospital setting and patient care setting over the last 12 months, you probably got exposed at some point, but your immune system is also probably fantastic. So you, your body's going to do a good job of fighting it off. So I, I get the idea. You want we don't want to have healthcare workers all come down with it and then have the hospitals overwhelmed. Fine, but we should still be smarter about this and say, all right, the absolute first people that must be vaccinated are anybody over the age of seventy-five. Group one A should have been nursing home residents, healthcare workers over the age of fifty, and anybody over the age of seventy-five. And then one B should have been everybody else because. That is how you should have actually stopped this. And that doesn't mean that I don't care about healthcare workers or anything else. I absolutely you hate teachers. I, yeah, teachers and nurses. You know me. I, I'm opposed to everybody. I just, you know, married one. But, and I was raised by a nurse too. So, uh, neither here nor there. Um, but the, the science is still the science. And, and if you're triaging, and this is something every medical professional understands, if you're triaging, it doesn't mean that the people that you're not getting to first don't have real problems. They do. But you only have so many resources, and you're trying to maximize the effectiveness of your response. You want to maximize the efficiency of your response. We're not doing that right now. We're so busy trying to pass all these feel-good and stupid rules that play well politically, and people aren't stopping to ask the question. I had somebody told me, they sent me a text, like, I got the first part of my vaccine today. And I'm done even, like, telling people that this is dumb. But she's 35 years old. I was like, oh, you know, good. I said, how do you feel? Like, well, I feel better that I got a 95% less chance of spreading this to somebody else. And I just put, I put my phone down. I was like, nope, not doing it. You're not getting me in. I'm not, not doing it. Because that's not true. You have a 95% reduced chance of getting a symptomatic virus, which keep in mind, if you had a 1% chance of getting the virus to begin with, and now it's a 95% less chance, I don't want to be crass, but who cares? You went from an almost zero chance to a closer to zero chance. Like, why would you get the vaccine when there are still people over the, there are still nursing home residents that have not had the option of getting this vaccine yet. Like, what are we doing? Guys, the vaccine is maybe, and I, I'll say probably, I wish they would have done a better job testing than what they did. And I wish they would have been more specific with testing this effects on older people instead of 35 year olds. But 
I wish they would have done a better job of testing it because so far the only thing that we actually can say with certainty is overall there was a 95% fewer examples in our test subjects of symptomatic COVID cases compared to the control group. That's it. Nothing about can we spread it, nothing about how long does this immunity last, nothing about does it, do you even really have immunity or is there some other factor that could be in play, like, I don't know, a bad age sample. There's all these other questions that lie. The only benefit claimed by this vaccine is that 95% reduced chance of you getting the vaccine and getting symptoms. That's it. So if you're thinking of taking this vaccine because you want to get us out of this and do it all together and you're under the age of 60, don't. And I'm not telling you like it's dangerous. It's probably not. I, I think it's probably okay to take. I really do. It's just because you're not the priority right now and you shouldn't be the priority. And the fact that you would go ahead of somebody else who is at that age and wants it is nuts. It just doesn't make sense. And and here's the other half of the thing. We don't know if this vaccine's really safe. We'd like to think it is, but there is an uncomfortable number of people that seem to be dying shortly after taking this vaccine. I'm or, not jumping to causation. Or outbreaks, true. So, like, we had a couple, like, you know, they've kind of been dismissed here. We had the one locally here at the Auburn uh, uh, long-term, long-term facility. Care facility, yeah. And then we had a... A uh, group of people in Charlotte, I believe, or at least it was in the Charlotte paper, or somebody in North Carolina, was a group of uh, medical workers who all came down shortly after getting the vaccine. I don't know that that's just unfortunate timing, but it seems something that somebody should be paying attention to and looking into. Um, and then you have the one-off. So you had the guy down in Florida who was the doctor who took the vaccine and then ended up having some problem. Like he couldn't form his platelets went away right. inside of him. And you know, I mean, Hank Aaron just died. You know what his last appearance in public was, guys? Getting the COVID vaccine that like, I'm not telling you it's linked. I'm not, but I'm going to say if we had a, a equal coverage of the way that we covered every 24 year old who died with COVID over the last year compared to the people dying right after getting the vaccine, this would be covered very differently. And in truth, I don't want to draw a conclusion on that yet. I don't. And I'm in a position where I don't really have to. I, my mother is still works in healthcare is in her sixties and she and I talked about it. And I just said, look, if I were you, yeah, I, I probably would think about getting it. I'm not. I'm not telling her not to. Everybody's got to make their own decision. But for her, it makes some level of sense. For for most of us who are not of that age, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, I feel like there's like if you're going to get it, like before I would get the vaccine, I would have to wait 25 years, I guess. But before that, I would also like get an antibody test, right? So if you get the antibody right. test and you have the antibodies, then... There's zero chance to, uh, or zero reason to get the vaccine at this point. Uh, yeah, it might if I see be... one more article claiming that the vaccine immunity is better than your T cell immunity, yeah. like I'm going to lose my mind. This is the opposite of science. And I love how they came out. I was reading one today that said the new strain in the UK, 30% more deadly than the original question mark. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like the general consensus on viruses, they become more contagious and less deadly right so if you want to use history as a guide that's what happens yeah so i you know all these racist variants like the uk variant and all these other variants that are coming from geographical locations they may spread faster they don't seem to be causing any more deaths or uh, stresses on the hospital so it's just something else that they can fit into a headline and uh, it could happen but please understand it would be the opposite of We've had 50 years of respiratory viruses spreading, and we've had 20 years of SARS viruses spreading. And COVID is SARS-CoV-2. It, it is falls under that 
family of, of viruses. It's never happened before. So to think that that's the most likely outcome, it, it would seem unwise. It would seem if you wanted to come up with it, you should play for the 99% rule and then deal with the 1% exception if you have to. And we have no idea if this vaccination, let's say the vaccine works perfectly and it actually does give you immunity and it does stop you from spreading it, none of which we know for sure, but let's say that's actually true. How long does it last? We have no idea. How long does it take to give you immunity? We have no idea. I saw some studies show that the vaccine could last three to six months. Yeah, I I saw those too. What are we doing? Yay. I saw another one that said it takes two weeks to get the immunity. Two weeks. So even after you get your second round, it's not till two weeks after that that you're actually immune. All right, so two weeks after that, I'm immune, and then three months later, I don't have immunity, and I rush to get this thing? All right, great. Yes. I, again, this this just does not make sense to me. Of It doesn't add up. And I think the problem is people are being misinformed on what this does. And it's it's intentional. Like, it's, you're being intentionally misled. I am not saying this virus is dangerous. I'm not saying the virus is going to kill you. I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I'm not telling you COVID is fake. I'm not saying any of this. COVID is real and it's a threat. If we want to be smart about our response, the smartest thing we can do with the only tool that we have available right now is the – well, that's not true, but let's not get into that just yet – um, if you wanted to be smart about it, number one, we should be doing is testing everybody for T cell immunity. That should be the first thing that we do before you even get the vaccine. They should offer T cell immunity testing. Let's see if you already have some level of immunity that way. If you still want the vaccine fine, but you'd want to know that ahead of time to be able and be and actually be genuine about it and give people the, the correct information to say, Hey, We don't know how long the vaccine immunity will last. We don't really know for the T-cell either, but early indications are at least as long as the vaccine, if not longer, is what the T-cell immunity is going to last. Again, if you look back historically at what T-cell immunity has offered. And I feel like maybe you uh, saw this too, where they tested some of the original SARS-1 people and they had, they still had immunity and it was 10 years later. I did see that actually. And I, and that was nine years later, but still nine or 10 years. It was, it was a long time. So this stuff does tend to last very, not forever. Nothing's forever. It's not like everything is as clear and black and white as we want, but you got to play for the, the rule versus the exception. And we always want to go for this 1% exception on everything. And it's not coming true. And there's a reason that we have screwed this up so badly is because we keep playing for the 1% exception instead of the 99% rule. And it doesn't make sense. We have to become better informed on this so that you can actually call people out when they say this. They put something in the the New York Times that said wearing two masks is probably even better than wearing one. Yeah, I I guess. Three masks. Let's start it. Four. What the hell? It's like six-minute abs. (laughs) We're going to do five-minute abs. Five-minute abs? You can't do five-minute abs. Um, I. I don't know what to make of that. All I can do is laugh about it to say, like, this does not make sense. It just, like, guys, wearing two masks is great, but the same thing. We know that wearing a mask has a minimal effect on blocking the transmission for a very short period of time. So is wearing two masks better? Yep. Probably. Is it really going to have any significant impact? No. None whatsoever. Two bike helmets in the car. Two bike helmets. We're going to double up on elbow pads. I mean... Like the idea that we are saying this out loud and expecting to be taken seriously, but people are taking it seriously. That's the that's the problem. But this is the problem with 
this is why we have no media in this country any longer who will who can actually give you an objective and fair viewpoint on hey look i don't want to tell anybody what to think we tend to focus on one side of this issue on our show because it is the there's nobody talking about this side of it to any type of an audience now that we have a huge audience but you see all the bad and i'm not telling you that the other side is good it's just not that bad it's a look be smart but let's actually be reasonably intelligent so that we can we can do this right If we're going to do this, let's be smart about how we're going to fight the virus. Because what we're doing right now isn't working. We've been doing it for a year at a terribly high cost, and it hasn't worked. And all we do is continue to double down on stupid. Like we're we're yelling at people about masks. And I, I, again, I wear a mask. I don't really care. It's comical. Like even at Wegmans where everybody's like, Wegmans will not force you to wear a mask. If, if you don't wear one, somebody tells on you, the manager basically says, there's nothing we can do. Oh, well. they, they don't think they have the legal authority to actually enforce the rule. So they basically pay the fine to the county every time, but they don't ever sign an acknowledgement of guilt, which I actually think is a brilliant legal strategy, but that's another conversation. Even at Wegmans, I was there yesterday. I didn't see one person without a mask on. I, not one. And the only grocery store in the entire county that will allow you to come in without one, I saw not one person walking around without a mask. Every single person, myself included, had a mask on. It's not working. It's not. And you know why? Because it's a virus. And it turns out that all of these preventive measures you could ever use, ever want to use and try, will have no greater impact, would, would be less meaningful than the humidity in the air. The humidity in the air will better dictate how much virus spread you're going to get than all of the non-pharmaceutical interventions we ever can do. Nobody knows that. Weird. So here's the reality. It's an airborne virus. Guess what? how much hand washing will help? Maybe a little? We don't really know. We have no idea. Because it's an airborne virus, and most of the spread is happening that way. There was a case in Korea where they tested it. They did contact tracing. A guy got it sitting in a restaurant. Somebody with COVID, mild symptoms, came in, stood 25 feet away, for five minutes and then walked out and the guy got COVID. Okay. That's how quickly it spreads. And the six feet of social distancing is an entirely arbitrary number. It's made up. There's no science to back that. Oh yeah. The droplets. Again, the droplets are the 1% exception. I feel like I I saw that the six feet of uh, social distancing was based on some evaluation of a card game in the 1800s. It's amazing. I hope that's true. I, I, I wouldn't be shocked because it's. I think it was like the biggest they figured they could get away with actually having people comply. Well, with. yeah. If you said thirty feet, then what are you going to do? That's right? the real number. I know the real number is thirty feet if you want to socially distance. And this is where we're being idiots about this. And this is my problem with masks, with social distancing, with everything else. I I talk to people that have gotten COVID, and they say like, I don't know how it happened. I did everything that we were supposed to do, and I still got it. And I just shake my head like. And then they tell you to wear the mask still. Right. And I'm like, <clears throat> of course you did. I did everything right. You gotta do gotta do everything right. Like uh doing everything right is not working. Right. It hasn't worked since it's, from the beginning. As human beings, it's like we can't come to terms with the idea that there are things beyond our control. A virus is one of those things that is beyond our control. Now there are some things you can do to mitigate it a little bit and help you help your chances, sure. And we should all Close be doing the those schools? things anyway. Oh god, don't. Oh. No, trying to help. closing schools was probably the dumbest thing that we've ever done as a society for this long. It's it, it's mind-boggling it's mind-blowing that schools are still closed anywhere in the country yeah, it's, it's, it's it, crazy it, completely devoid of science but we want to pretend like we can control this and you only have so much so if you wanted to actually be halfway intelligent about this what you should have done pure and simple 
was protect the people over the age of 70. That's what the data has been indicating from the beginning is that the people over 75 are at a ridiculously increased risk of dying and getting very sick from COVID-19. You'll notice that we're not seeing the stories that we used to see about young person dies from COVID anymore. And it's because it turns out we were doing things wrong treatment-wise. We, we weren't giving the right treatment. Look, I, I'm not blaming anybody for that. We were, we were all trying to make sense of it. We were all trying to figure this out, and everybody was scared. Mistakes got made. It, it's that simple. Um, these people that died of long-term brain hemorrhages and everything else after being on a ventilator, they didn't die from COVID. They died from being on a ventilator. It's, not, it's a very invasive treatment. And last point on this as far as all the misinformation and, and the unbelievably detrimental effects it will have on us when we look back on this time is the effectiveness of the various treatments, particularly steroids and uh, antiviral treatments. Um, the, the science on those, again, no silver bullet, nothing's, nothing is forever. Nothing is perfect. How effective those are proving to be in the areas that use them, at least at preventing deaths. And the fact that we are not doing any of them is inexcusable. I mean, we will look back on this in absolute bewilderment that we had all of these treatments available that were already low cost and ready to go. And we did none of them. Uh, none so uh, uh, it makes me genuinely sad to think about this of if you just uh, uh, hydroxychloroquine is sort of one i focus on but there's five or six others that have been tested and shown to be very effective no there's not double blind rcts and i freely acknowledge that for the most part but how many rcts are there on what we're doing now on remdesivir on the vaccines how many of them were good solid studies that that really gave us great information yeah, none. Right. So why are we so willing to accept those, but the ones that come out in support of the cheap, inexpensive, widely available, and already known to be safe treatments, do we ignore so willingly? Follow the money, Ben. I always follow the money. <clears throat> All um, right. So let me just make this last yeah. point. Let's just focus on hydroxychloroquine because it's the one I know best. Hydroxychloroquine carries almost no risk of significant side effects unless you have a very particular type of cardiovascular ailment. And I can't remember what the name of it is, but it's something very specific. Then it can actually cause significant side effects. Hydroxychloroquine taken day one or day two of getting COVID-19 has seen a, is been linked through, I think, 40 different studies to a massive reduction in deaths. Huge reduction. Why did we not just take everybody over the age of 70 who was willing and say, here's what the data says. If you want to, you can. Would you like to start taking hydroxychloroquine as, a pro as prophylactically? Now, it's not actually going to work prophylactically, but what it would do is it would guarantee that if you got COVID, you would have been on hydroxychloroquine on day one or day two. It would have guaranteed that when you got it, you would have had this protection that gave you an exponentially, that looks like it gives you an exponentially greater chance of surviving at almost no risk of side effects whatsoever, as long as you know somewhat of the health, health history. Not zero, I know that, but minimize. Again, we're looking for the best of bad solutions. Instead, we got pushed onto remdesivir, and everybody's like, remdesivir is saving lives. Nope. Nope, never been tested to do that. Remdesivir came out. They declared it the gold standard of care because they said it will shorten your symptoms by two to four days. Which, if you're genuinely concerned about overwhelming the health system, that is a very valid claim. However, the same exact number of people died 
who had remdesivir versus who didn't as a percentage. It had absolutely no impact on the mortality of COVID. And we didn't know the side effects, and I still don't. We don't know the side effects of the vaccine other than there seem to be kind of a lot of them. Most of them are mild, but they're there. None of this makes sense. If we would have gone down this road of treating with the antivirals, the hydroxychloroquines and the things like that, and then for late stages using the steroids and these other treatments and allowing doctors to make the decision instead of the government stepping in and saying you can't do it. That's what I find maddening is they took the decision out of the patient's hand, out of the doctor's hand, and people had to go to court just to get these treatments used. Yeah. No, it's been a complete disaster from the beginning. So on this glorious note, we'll uh, end the show here uh, for uh, episode 34. Mr. Hughesung, anything else you'd like to leave us with other than your Pro Bowl prediction? Um. I like the blue team. The blue team. Excellent. Vote. (laughs) Bet on the blue team, folks. Uh, Whatever the line. All right, guys. We'll see you all next week. Uh, Again, I thank you for finding us on YouTube. Uh, I think we'll probably be on YouTube next week, too. I don't really know how that's all going to work out, but keep a lookout for us. And uh, please like, share, and subscribe to the show. And we'll see you all again next week.